Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to another episode. I hope you are ready, your brains are engaged, and you have a glass of bubbly by your side. Remember that sparkling wine is your friend. (laughs) Now we are doing a deep dive into sparkling wine. This will be part one, and this part is touching on the production side, the methods used to make different types of sparkling wines and like my fortified wine episodes that's 113 and episode 120 this is going to be set up like flashcards so you can pause the audio and have a think but of course I'm only pausing for a second or two so should you just want to play all the way through and listen it's perfect that way too there is a transcript and I'm super excited I finally fixed the mess that was my website and a website designer has even put a search bar on my podcast page you now don't have to just keep scrolling down so just search a keyword and you'll find what you're looking for I'm very very proud so humor me right guys and go and check it out www.eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk slash podcasts but of course you can also just find the link to this podcast transcript in my show notes so a perfect addition to help you on your studies and can I ask you if this is helping to take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. This tells the algorithm that this is actually a worthwhile podcast to listen to and it shows it to other people. So if you're getting value from this episode or any of my others, this is the best thing you can do to support my work. So without any more ramblings, let us fall gracefully into the world of sparkling. So there are six ways to make sparkling wine and we will cover five of them. The sixth, which is the carbonation method, is simply injecting CO2 into a wine and then the wine is bottled under pressure. The rest are far more interesting and produce higher quality wines. So what are they? You have traditional method, also known as the champagne method, the transfer method, the tank method, which is often referred to as Charmat method, the Asti method, and method ancestral. So the first three methods have their bubbles created by a second fermentation. And the most famous of these is the traditional method. So let's go through all of the steps. Take a pause if you want to have a think about them all in order now. But first of all, we will start with a base wine. So we have our chosen grapes and we have taken them through their first fermentation. This is made just like a standard still wine. We're going to then take this base wine and add what to start a second fermentation? Sugar and yeast. This might be cane or beet sugar and the yeast culture will be specifically selected. Now what is the name for this wine mixed with sugar and yeast? We would call that liqueur de tirage. And then this wine will be put into a bottle and sealed with what? A crown seal. So it's just like a beer cap. 
And then the wine is stored in a cool condition whilst it's going through its second fermentation in bottle. Now, it's worth pointing out with fermentation, it is yeast that is responsible for this process. So what it does, the yeast converts the sugars in the wine into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Well, hence the bubbles, but we're going to get to that. So with this second fermentation, we know that the alcohol level will rise. So how much increase in alcohol will there be? So around 1.2 to 1.3 percent. And now getting to those bubbles, of course, because the bottle was sealed, the carbon dioxide has now dissolved into the wine under pressure. After the second fermentation, the wine is left in contact with those yeast lees. So my question is, what aromas and flavours can be created with that extended time on the lees? Well, these are called otolytic characters and they may give you aromas and flavours such as toast or croissant, maybe bready notes, brioche, biscuit. Now, after a certain amount of time, and this is going to be dependent on the law of the region and or the winemaker's choice, it is going to be time to riddle the bottle. Now, this can be done by hand or by an automatic riddling machine, which we call a gyro palette. What is the French name for the riddling process? They would call it remouage. And what is this process? So this is where you move the yeast from the side of the bottle down to its neck. So you're taking the bottle from a horizontal position and you are inverting it so that it's now upside down. You need to do this gently as if you agitate the yeast too much, the sediment is going to cloud up the wine and you're trying to separate that yeast so that you can remove it. It is rarely done by hand now very often it's just for show the reason for that is it's very time consuming but in traditional wineries there is a riddler so that's his name and a professional riddler can do as many as 40,000 bottles each day by hand the sparkling wine would be left in an a frame rack so this is called a pupitre and every couple of weeks the bottle would be turned in both directions or you could say riddled in both directions and it's tilted at a more severe angle each time until all of the sediment is now in the neck as the wine is of course inverted it can take six weeks for this whole process or you can automate this process with a gyro palette and that can do about 500 bottles at a time. It can work for 24 hours a day and it can finish the whole process in less than a week. So you now have your sediment in the neck of the bottle. What do you do next? Well, You need to freeze the neck of that bottle, so you're going to submerge it into a brine bath. You then turn the wine back upright and you put it through a disgorging line. This is going to flick off that crown cap. The pressure inside the bottle will push the frozen plug of yeast out, along with a little bit of wine, and then the wine is topped up with wine and sugar. So what is this called? 
This is the liqueur d'expedition, or people may refer to it as the dosage. This is the amount of sugar that went in. Now, I've mentioned sugar levels in sparkling wines several times throughout other podcast episodes, but it is important to know. So what are all of the sugar levels? Brut nature, this is no added sugar at all. So it will have zero to three grams per liter of residual sugar. Extra brut is zero to six grams per liter of residual sugar. Brut is zero to 12 grams. Extra dry, or it might be extra sec, is 12 to 17 grams per liter. Dry, or sec, is going to be 17 to 32 grams per liter residual sugar. Demi-sec is 32 to 50 grams. And du, or moulion, is 50 grams per liter plus, so upwards of 50. Now, the wine will then go on to be bottled with a cork and a wire cage. This is known as a mausolette, and this helps keep the cork secure. So the sparkling wine might then be released to drink immediately, or it could be held back to age on its cork so it will evolve further, and then the winemaker might choose to release that wine later on down the line. So what wines would use this method? Of course, the most famous is Champagne. Followed by Cava in Spain, we have Cremont across all the regions of France. Now, of course, I hope everybody thinks of English sparkling wine, where 99% of the sparkling wines we make in this country are made in the traditional method. Uh, You also have Franciacorta in Italy, Cap Classique in South Africa, and many of the sparkling wines around the world will use this method. So just look out for that written somewhere, probably on the back label. Now to quickly touch on the transfer method, which also has the second fermentation in bottle, but this is a quicker cheaper method that will have similar flavors but the quality will be affected slightly so what happens after the second fermentation well the wine will age on the lees for a certain amount of time but then instead of the laborious riddling process all of the sparkling wine bottles are emptied under pressure to retain the bubbles, the dissolved CO2, but into a pressurized tank. This is then chilled to minus five degrees Celsius and the dosage, the sugar, is added to sweeten the wine. Then the wine is filtered to bottle, done. Which wines would use this method? Really many from the new world at a mid-market price point would be using this method. So that brings us on to the Charmat method, the tank method. Which wine is most famous for using this method? Well, of course, I hope you're all going to say Prosecco from Italy, the northeast of Italy. So where does the second fermentation happen? So instead of it being in the bottle... The wine goes through its second fermentation in a sealed tank. The CO2 will still dissolve into the wine, but there is a much larger surface area, meaning that the bubbles will be larger and less fine. 
And a winemaker could choose to leave the wine on its lees for a while, but certainly the expectation of most Prosecco is that it is fruity and fresh, well, and rather affordable. So a winemaker will want to get this wine out for sale as quickly as possible. So the sparkling wine will then be sweetened, filtered and bottled under pressure. Now let's get on to the oldest known way to make sparkling wine, which is called the ancestral method. With this method, the wine is moved from a vat into an individual bottle while it is still fermenting, and then it is sealed under a crown cap. So bubbles are created the same way. The wine will typically be lower in alcohol than traditional method, around 11, 12%. And why is that? Well, you aren't adding in the extra sugar from second fermentation, and it is the sugar that converts into alcohol. This stage, of course, doesn't happen. Equally, a byproduct of fermentation is the CO2. And so with this method, you will also find slightly less pressure and bubbles are created. The bubbles will be more gentle. The wine can have some sweetness as the wine sometimes doesn't ferment fully, leaving some residual sugar. Now, does this wine get filtered? The simple answer is no. And so it can be slightly cloudy. And there is now a resurgence in this style, in the natural wine making movement. What is the name of this wine? It is called Pet Nat, which stands for Petillant Natural. And Pet Nat aside, there is a wine that is the world's best example of the ancestral method. So what is that? It's down in France in the south and it's the AOC Lemu method ancestral. Now to finish off the methods it leaves us with the Asti method. So what is the first step you need to do to take when making this wine? Well you're going to chill it down. You need to chill it down to zero degrees Celsius so that it does not start fermenting and it is left until it is needed. So why in this method are we chilling down the must? Well, this is to make sure that the aromatic aromas are preserved. With Asti, you are using the Muscat grape, which has a very pronounced orange blossom aroma. It's very grapey, very floral. And as they make this wine throughout the year, they need to ensure that they have the freshest grapes. So, when they are ready to make a batch, they will warm up the must and start the one and only fermentation. So what is the situation with the CO2 here? Well, at the beginning, a little is allowed to escape. And then during the process of fermentation, at some point, the tank will be sealed to retain the rest. So the pressure in this wine may be a little less than that of a traditional method sparkling wine. At what point? Does fermentation stop? Well, in this method, fermentation is stopped early and this is done how? Well, you chill down the wine again. So you are left with a wine at around 7 to 9.5% ABV with typically some sweetness as there is still unfermented sugar. And then the wine is filtered and bottled. Now I want to touch on Moscato de Asti because both Asti and Moscato de Asti are made in the same region in Piemonte in the northwest of Italy. But with Moscato de Asti, fermentation is stopped sooner. 
So the wine is sweeter. It has a lot less atmospheric pressure. So that means a lot less fizz. Legally, the wines cannot have above 2.5 atmospheric pressure compared to Asti, which will be four bars of pressure up to six. With this low pressure, a standard cork can be used in a Moscato de Asti bottle. Now, they are the methods of production, but of course, there are always lots more choices that you can make in the vineyards and, of course, in the winery. So let's actually have a quick look at the climates for growing grapes destined for sparkling wine. So what is the optimal climate for making quality sparkling wines and why? Well, typically, cooler climates where grapes are going to struggle to ripen is ideal. And the reason for that, the grapes will have just ripe flavours and they will retain higher acidity. The grapes will also accumulate their sugar slower. So that's going to give them lower alcohol levels. So between, say, 9 to 11%. So why is a slow sugar accumulation important in grapes destined for sparkling wine? Well, because... It means that the lower sugar levels at harvest will yield a base wine that is lower in alcohol, as I said, around 9 to 11%. And this is important because the secondary fermentation will produce an additional 1 to 2% of alcohol. Now, grapes grown for sparkling wine are often grown at higher or lower yields than for still wines. Very often higher yields. Now the reason for that leads me on to the next question. So what are the most desirable characteristics in grapes used for sparkling wines? So one, higher acid. Two, low potential alcohol. Three, delicate flavours. And all of these are better achieved with higher yields. Now, when it comes to harvesting grapes for sparkling wines, are there anything that a vineyard team might consider? Well, you already know about the lower must weights than still wine. They want those lower alcohols. But typically, they are going to harvest by hand, and that's going to minimize the phenolic extraction and oxidation. We want really fresh fruit here. And once the bunches of grapes are in the winery, are they likely to be destemmed or whole bunch pressed? So the standard here is whole bunch pressing. And again, this will help with only a gentle extraction. So you're taking less phenolics. This is really important when you're handling those red grapes because, of course, the colour, the tannins are all in the skin. So unless you are actually trying to make a rosé wine, so that is one thing, we'll talk about that in a bit, you need to very slowly and gently press those grapes to minimise the maceration and the extraction. If you take too much of the phenolics that are in the skins, you are risking the wine being more bitter and rougher. Now, there are two types of presses known to press the grapes very gently. So what are their names? The more modern is called a pneumatic press and the more traditional is called a basket press. Now, when it comes to pressing, we talk about very often free run juice and press juice. We talk about the cuvee and the taille. So what is this? Free run is the juice that flows freely from freshly picked grapes before they're pressed. 
The free run is the purest expression of the wine and it's also richest in sugars and acids. The press juice comes from applying gradually more pressure to the grapes, but this can extract more of the bitter compounds and the phenolics from the skins, the stems and the seeds. From a positive standpoint, though, the press juice also adds structure and body to the wine. So when it comes to talking about the juice press fractions, that's where we say free run, cuvee and taille. So what is the cuvee specifically and what is the taille? The cuvee is basically the first press fraction and tailles are the subsequent press fractions. There are normally rules on how much of each can be pressed and this will be down to either the law of the region or on how the winemaker wants to produce his sparkling wine. But as you may have guessed in Champagne specifically it is heavily regulated. So as an example in Champagne if you loaded 4,000 kilograms of grapes into a press you can only draw off 20.5 hectolitres of the cuvee or the first pressing, and then the taille can only be five hectolitres. So continuing on, after the grapes are pressed for sparkling wine, when is the juice clarified? Is it before or is it after primary fermentation? The answer is before. And what can a winemaker do to the must before primary fermentation if it has, say, excess colour or tannin after the pressing? Well, they can fine it, so they could use fining agents such as casein, gelatin or PVPP. So let's talk about the temperature in which this first fermentation will happen. What temperature do you think a winemaker would choose? So typically it's going to be quite warm and quite quick, around 14 to 20 degrees Celsius. Now you don't want it too cold because that's going to inhibit the yeasts working. Also, it's going to perhaps create unwelcome flavours like pear drops. Now, what vessels will the first fermentation happen in? So it's most common for the first fermentation to happen in stainless steel tanks, but you will find some wineries putting their wine in oak to add different flavors. Now, is the yeast strain important for this first fermentation? Well, yes, it is because you've picked the grapes with high acid levels, which also means a low pH. So, you need to choose a yeast strain that will be able to reliably ferment the grapes with this low pH conditions to dryness. Now, I won't ask you to think for this question as even I couldn't remember this, but if you are looking to remember two yeast strains commonly used for traditional method sparkling wines, here you go, this is the really geeky bit, you could write down Pris de Mousse, which is known as EC, 1118 or Lalvin DV10. Now, do sparkling wines go through malolactic fermentation, MLF? 
This is the choice of the winemaker. So if you think about this process, it is where the malic acids convert into the lactic acids. So if you think of sharp apple acids converting into creamy dairy acids. Now, if the wine goes through MLF, malolactic fermentation, it will reduce the excess acidity. But sometimes winemakers want their wine to seem brighter, more vibrant, more fruit driven. And so they might avoid the malolactic fermentation happening. And also with the warmer climates around the world, actually grapes are coming in with lower acidity levels. So some winemakers feel that they can skip this step for that reason. Now, we should also touch on how rosé sparkling wine is made. So what are the two methods? You have either assemblage, which is blending the red wine into the white wine. Now, typically 7 to 15% could be the separate red wine that is added to the white wine. And this is all about what colour and what aromas the winemaker is trying to achieve as to how much red wine he would put in. The second method is rosé de saignée or maceration. So this is where you leave those red grapes on their skins to absorb more of the colour. Right, I'm leaving our brains to relax now. And in six weeks' time, so after my next three guests, I will release part two, which of course I will focus heavily on the Champagne region. So for next week, I have a fabulous guest with the most wonderful energy. Many of you will know her from the TV on Saturday Kitchen, Helen McGinn. She is the author of The Knackered Mother's Wine Guide, has released fictional novels and has an online wine course. So we will be quizzing Helen to extract some of her wine tips and tricks, things she has learned along the way during her years as a supermarket buyer. I can promise you next week is a much more light-hearted episode, which I felt is much needed after this one. So I will finish, as always, with a wine quote, and I want to end with something light, so may I quote Coco Chanel. I'm sure many of you know what is coming. She famously said, I only drink champagne on two occasions, when I am in love and when I am not. I confirm I feel the same way. Right, we are done for today. Love to you all. For those of you studying, strive for progress, not for perfection. This is the motto for the week. It is Monday, so new day, new week. Embrace your challenges. Drink well, of course, and I'll see you all back here next week. So until then, cheers to you. <laughs>